Shut up and sit down. Welcome. Welcome back to In the Context of Empire. I'm John Lancaster, joined by Matt McKenna. Matt McKenna, thank you very much, Matt, for bringing another great selection of beer. We have the Brooklyn Lager here. I think my favorite that you brought. In. So thank you very much. Well, indeed, I did bring it from my refrigerator to the living room because we are safely sitting far apart in my living room because we have gotten some criticism about the sound of crickets in the other episodes. And hopefully the cars in the parking lot don't make too much noise. That is true. That is true. I do live above a parking lot and occasionally you can hear the cars. But very nice chilled beer here. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Matt, let's talk about a light topic. Let's just talk about treason for a while, yeah? Some light treason. Some light, treason watch. light. <laughs> <laughs> That's an Arrested Development reference. Before, uh, before we talk about it, though, I think we should come in framing it as kind of the difference between, like, the constitutionally defined treason and also kind of what we're talking, like, colloquial treason mm-hmm. that we'll be talking about. So why don't we frame those first, and then we'll go into it. Right, so uh, on uh, our website, in the context of empire.com, you'll find the latest article there is our, called Our Treasonous Heroes. And uh, there is a constitutionally defined definition of treason, and then there's some kind of colloquial definitions, and it doesn't seem like the way that we use it uh, adheres to either 100% of the time. So what I mean by that is there's a constitutional definition of treason... Uh, John just read it before the podcast. Do you, do you remember what it is exactly? I can actually have it right on my phone that I could pull it up. Uh, but in um, in the Constitution, the proper definition of treason is, quote, shall consist only in levying war against the United States or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. And that's Article 3 of the Constitution. All right, so... There's that official definition, which is problematic in its own right, and you'll find some of that in the article, uh, Our Treasonous Heroes. But also there's kind of the more colloquial definition where treason people will consider someone a traitor if they betray the United States. But then that's even unclear because that does that mean betraying the United States or does it mean betraying the United States government? As in, does it mean betraying the citizens of the United States or does it mean betraying the, the government of the United States? And uh, I'm posing the argument those things are entirely different, and if we accept the second definition, the, the definition that, that implies that treason is to betray the people of the United States, then our whole characterization of who is a traitor becomes shifted in a pretty radical way. Why don't we start with that first official constitutional definition of treason, though, because in the definition that's in the Constitution about providing aid to the enemies of the United States... Right. That itself is pretty problematic because we kind of unanimously agree and and say it unchecked that being a traitor is somehow synonymous with being a villain. That to betray the United States and fight for the enemies of the United States is somehow a villainous uh, thing that that shows a, a, a level of evil. And yeah, in your article, you provide a few different instances of Americans who do actually fight with the quote-unquote enemy side rather than the American side. Right, so 
I, I think a lot of uh, the use of treason lately comes in description of the Confederacy because we're in this moment where sure yeah where a lot of these Confederate monuments are being discussed and have been uh, been questioned as to why they've been erected and why do we need to have monuments to people who were representative of white supremacy and promoters of slavery and defenders of slavery. And I'm 100% with that discussion. I think we do need to rethink who is uh, memorialized in this country, who goes on our currency. I, I mean, I'm in favor of a drastic shift in who which figures appear on our currency, so on and so forth, which figures become statues. But one of the most common arguments is we shouldn't bestow any respect on the Confederates because they were traitors. And they were traitors, but I think it's a little problematic to lump the, the villains of the Confederacy, we can call them villains for what they stood for, with a, what is a very noble history of treason in the United States. So you mentioned there are some figures that right. have betrayed the United States and fought against the United States. And there's a lot of them, but a couple that I wrote about in the article were David Fagan was an African-American soldier in the Philippine-American War. In previous podcasts, you can hear more about that war. But in short, this was an imperial invasion the United States did in the Philippines. The same army that had been pacifying, you know, word we use in quotes, really, uh, murdering in mass quantities Native Americans on the Great Plains and in the West, was then sent out to South Asia to, quote, pacify the Philippines, which meant killing hundreds of thousands of people, torturing them. Uh, there's all kinds of quotes of American soldiers talking about hunting Filipinos like rabbits, uh, using the N-word to describe them. Uh, the, there's a, On the island of Samar, the, there's a... a military rank, uh, high-ranking military officer named Smith, who says, literally kill everything, everyone over the age of 10, uh, make the island a howling wilderness. This was a genocidal war. In certain parts, they were killing men, women, and children. So David Fagan, an African-American who grew up in the American South, the, the apartheid that it was in the late 19th century, identified the, the blatant racism of his comrade, of, of his compatriots in the American army, and betrayed the American army. He defected and joined the Philippine army. And he was a very effective commander within the Philippine army, which of course means, like, the, what, let's not uh, beat around the bush about what that means. That means killing American soldiers. Right. Uh, it means betraying one's oath to the United States. But can we really say that that wasn't heroic for him to do so? Right. It sounds like, and I think you say this a bit in your articles, like we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be equating loyalty with morality. That you know, sometimes, especially when we're talking about on this podcast of the you know the United States creating pretty you know unstable uh, nations or violent act you know committing violent acts, perhaps loyalty to those things is not moral at all, and I think we'd agree that it's not. And so we'd have to look at more about the morality around these situations than then simple loyalty to one's government. Right, and, and it's like just look at the history of wars the United States has fought. Now, you can maybe identify a few that are debatable as if they, if they were justifiable. Uh, maybe the revolution, although there's a great, there's a great argument that the revolution was a counter-revolution to, to get the rights to conquer Native American land because the British were preventing the American colonists from doing so, uh, to maintain slavery because the British Parliament was threatening to end slavery. But when it comes down to it, the wars that the United States have fought have almost all been unjustifiable and almost all been these imperial conquests. And 
on another note, I'm going to talk about a different group, and I'll be brief because I know we want to talk about other other topics here. But there's a pattern that David Fagan was was part of a proud tradition of, and that's this idea of the most oppressed people within the United States domestically are also the most likely to stand up against U.S. imperial aggression. So, of course, David Fagan was an African American. He was in the Philippine-American War less than half a century after slavery ended, and of course he was living in the apartheid Jim Crow era South, where he was uh, not treated as a human being in very similar ways to where Filipinos were when the war started. Prior to that, you had the Irish-Americans who were... Not, I'm not going to equate the, treat, the treatment of African-Americans to Irish-Americans because Irish-Americans were never enslaved. It's, it's, uh, it's not the same kind of oppression. But Irish-Americans did face dehumanization within the United States. When the first huge wave of Irish immigrants came to the United States in the 19th century, many of them joined the army. And this is really the beginning of the United States becoming this expanding empire across the continent. The first major war of conquest, I don't mean to minimize all the Native American wars because they did occur, but the first major war the United States deployed uh, troops to another country was the Mexican-American War. And that was a war of conquest. The United States, on dubious uh, grounds, invaded Mexico. It was one of those things where the U.S. troops were conveniently placed on a border where they were likely to get into a dispute. And James K. Polk, right. the president, had promised that he would invade Mexico and annex Texas. So it, it, this was a fight that he was hoping for. And amidst this war, they're killing Mexican civilians. Uh, they're occupying Mexican cities. And Irish Catholic soldiers recognize this this kind of abuse is similar to the kind of abuse that they were facing within the United States at the time. The Irish need not apply. The the portrayal of the Irish as lazy and, and less than human. You go back and look at cartoons of Irish people from the 19th century. And this particular battalion, called the St. Patrick's Battalion, or Battalion de San Patricio, if you want to say it in Spanish, my poor Spanish, they betrayed the United States in huge numbers, like 700 of them left the U.S., defected, and joined the Mexican army and fought and they were a major unit. They were an artillery unit. And they were very effective, which, of course, let, let's not beat around the bush. This means they were killing American soldiers. Eventually, just like David Fagan, a lot of them were captured. Like David Fagan, many of them were executed. Because I think the U.S. government, and as all imperial powers do, recognize the danger of intersectional struggle. And... Were it to be that oppressed peoples, whether they be Filipinos and African-Americans or the Irish Catholics uh, identifying with the Mexicans th that were being invaded by the United States, that's a huge threat to power. And there are different reasons why the Irish might have identified with the, the Mexican struggle against America. There's also some theorization that maybe they identified the Mexican struggle against America as similar to the Irish struggle against Great Britain. But... Again, these are people who chose morality to their own values and to humanity over loyalty to the United States. And yes, they were traitors by the strictest constitutional definition. But if that's what means being that's what a, being a traitor is, then that is something we should all honor and uh, strive for. Right. Yeah, and I think I mean that that St. Patrick's Battalion. I think we do a little bit actually in our own classes. I remember you sending over a resource for that. But I think even more so. You know, with this formal definition of treason um, regarding you know not assisting enemies, 
even the selection of enemies that the United States government picks is is very it has nothing to do with morality. Like we, you know, we can get into this a little bit later when we were talking about the war in Afghanistan. Like the folks that we picked as allies were not the moral, you know, not the moral groups. It was the ones that for, you know, for that the United States government thought would be in its best interest or even its big business's best interests to ally with, but it has nothing to do with morality. Yeah, and I think that uh, this is like one of those wars that just people don't understand. So they just, again, they, they Americans think in this binary in these binary terms. They look at an example like, do you remember the the American who got caught fighting with the Taliban? His name's John Walker Lynn. Yeah. He joined. This is an American. He was probably a confused young man. He, he was about nineteen years old. And he converted to Islam, and he eventually wound up in Afghanistan fighting with the Taliban in their civil war against what was called the Northern Alliance. Now, all of these groups, the Taliban and the Northern Alliance, are all products of the war that America supported all these uh, uh, jihadist, fundamentalist Islamic groups in the 80s against the Russians, against the USSR, and then found themselves fighting each other. all brutal ta- they were all using brutal tactics the northern alliance included people that pride, prided themselves in throwing acid in women's faces they were warlords uh john walker lynn allied with the taliban and a lot of people allied in afghanistan allied with the taliban because you and i have talked about this a lot of what a lot of people don't realize in the united states is the taliban was the stabilizing force the taliban took control yeah. in a country that was totally lawless which is why they had support to begin with yeah, and I think like that is something that while the Taliban also did some you know, terrible things, but we we have to consider that the United States, who they were allying with, was not again in in any way like the re- the rationale for allying with them was not morals, right? Not at all. I mean, the, the half of these guys were if if nine eleven had happened and Osama bin Laden had had been close to any of these guys in the Northern Alliance, we would have joined the Taliban in a, in a heartbeat. Right. And before we move on from the Taliban, I just want to say, this is a matter of, it goes back to our podcast we did about words. So treason is totally one of those words that serves power, even in this official definition. Because if John Walker Lind is a traitor for having joined the Taliban unknowingly, a year before 9-11 would happen. He didn't help plan 9-11. Neither did the Taliban, by the way. Right. He, he had no idea the United States would be at war with the Taliban a year later. Yeah, it's like retroactive treason. Yeah. Right? It's like... <laughs> he didn't get captured by the United States. Right. He got captured by the thugs in the Northern Alliance. And, you know, and then he did 20 years in prison, much of which was spent in isolation. Fine. You want to say that he's a, tra- a traitor? It's a tenuous uh, claim that to say that he was. But fine, if you want to say that John Walker Lind is a traitor, then you need to explain to me how the U.S. military and the high, many of the high commanding officials paying the Taliban, this is, this is almost stranger than fiction. The United States military, over the course of the Afghanistan war, was paying the Taliban security for security yeah. to get shipments in trucks across the country because the Taliban was a reliable source. It's like literally the U.S. military is paying the Taliban to run security for them to deliver truckloads of material to other U.S. military units so they can go out and fight the Taliban right. the next day. It's, like, it's just like this perpetual – it's like that's if, – if you're a libertarian or a conservative, you don't like bureaucracy, that's like government <laughs> bureaucracy at its worst. 
before we move off of the this like official definition of trees and go into kind of this Ooh, I, other I, colloquial, I, I do, I do we, have one more thing. Yeah, to I was going to ask. Do we want to? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and that that Taliban option, uh, that example is great, but there are so many other examples of yeah. Again, if we're talking about aiding U.S. enemies, let's let's apply it to other U.S. figures. Uh, how about? What if we applied it retroactively for John, the way it happened for John Walker Lynn, in the way that that much more powerful figures have associated with eventual U.S. enemies? Think of all the U.S. officials that were cool with Saddam Hussein when he was at his most brutal in the 80s, when he was gassing his own people with U.S. weapons uh, and invading Iran. And there's literal pictures of uh, Donald Rumsfeld shaking his hand, like having a bro out with him. Uh, <laughs> How about the Mujahideen who eventually becomes the Taliban? They have, they visited Ronald Reagan in the White House. They made movies about it. Like Rambo 3 is about the Mujahideen. <laughs> it's like it doesn't age well. Uh, just the idea that that you can hold someone retroactively for right. being a traitor. It's like we got a lot of people then to, to hold as traitors. And if it is giving aid to the enemy, I mean, this is a controversial one because it's ongoing, but it is relatively incontrovertible that the U.S. wars in Syria and Libya, whether knowingly or unknowingly, and I suspect knowingly, were huge aids to al-Qaeda and al-Qaeda-linked groups. And what I mean by that is so many, like most of the weapons that the U.S. was shipping into Syria into the, quote, moderate opposition ended up in the, in the hands of al-Qaeda and al-Qaeda-linked groups. ISIS grew out of a direct, uh, out of the direct cause of the United States' actions in Iraq, it used to be al-Qaeda in Iraq. Uh, when the United States invades Iraq, they, they fire the entire military, give, put a bunch of young guys in the streets without jobs. This, these groups eventually coalesce into al-Qaeda in Iraq. A lot of them are in prison. They meet in prison that they, under U.S. Uh, imprisonment and in torture. They unite and they make plans and eventually ISIS forms and they take over roughly half of Iraq. They take over some of Syria. And we have John Kerry on tape saying... <laughs> We wanted ISIS to use as leverage against Assad because they, they thought Assad was more of a threat than ISIS. And they allowed ISIS to grow. So one way or another, both through the ar- arming through the Gulf states, uh, the Timber Sycamore program, the CIA was directly and indirectly arming groups that are, make no, make no bones about it, these were Al-Qaeda-linked groups. Later on, these same groups last year were used by Turkey to invade northern Syria. To use, and we heard how, how concerned we were that these violent groups were terrorizing the Kurds. Like Something like 28 out of the 40 groups that we were so concerned about were on the U.S. payroll just two years earlier through Operation Timber Sycamore. Uh, Mehdi Hassan wrote about this in The Intercept. I suggest everyone Googles Mehdi Hassan Turkish militias. The point is, if it's a... If, we're going to say that aiding U.S. enemies or siding with them is treason, then people a lot more powerful than John Walker Lynn need to be considered traitors. Sorry, John. No, I no, I think long. that's a good point. I think, like, again, it just, we, we talk a lot about, and you kind of mentioned this before, how these words, going back to our other podcast, are used to serve those in power while those in power are not being held at the same level of accountability, if, if at all, at any accountability for... Um, for their actions, and, and we're holding um, other folks retroactively as traitors, yet not doing the same for those in power. 
I don't think that John Walker Lynn was officially charged with, tra- with treason, but if you talk about yeah. it, people will just say, well, he's a traitor. He's fighting right. with the Taliban. Um, so hopefully that is a fairly convincing argument regarding the problematic nature of its official definition. And I know you propose, and I think we also ta- talked a little bit about, because you kind of offer three kind of definitions, mm-hmm. right? We also talked about kind of the personal morality or integrity uh, piece where people, you know, are standing with their morals as opposed to going against them out of just sheer loyalty to their country. But there's also this colloquial definition that I think most people, I think most people would think about, which I think is actually the most fitting um, in terms of the accuracy of it, which is treason being a um, kind of going against the people of the country, not the government, um, but the actual people. So I know you talk about that in your article as well, is like that, uh, notion of going against your people, and if we assign that definition as "quote unquote" traitor, we have a very different view of who traitors are and who they aren't. Right. So, whereas before I was saying that traitors can be heroic, that's with the definition of the big picture prioritizing loyalty to your morality, loyalty to to people globally over loyalty to your own country or loyalty to your own government. Right. Now. If we shift the definition of treason to being loyal to the people of the United States or being loyal to humanity, then our list looks very different. So our list doesn't include people, you know, who the, there have been people throughout history, in the United States history, aside from the people that I mentioned, you know, the, the many, many black soldiers in Vietnam who betrayed their ranks or slowed down their service, purposely went on tours to, and didn't go on their mission to outright killing their officers. They might have been considered traitors. But then again, what about Lyndon Johnson? When we start considering the definition of treason where it prioritizes loyalty to the people of the United States, Lyndon Johnson was told by Senator Russell in a recorded conversation, you should Google that, Lyndon Johnson and Senator Russell conversation, Vietnam, uh, we can post in the show notes if you want. They had a conversation early in the war early in Johnson's term, where Johnson's asking him, can this war be won? And he's told flat out, no, this war cannot be won. Also, Johnson started the, started the escalation of the war, uh, the Gulf of Tonkin incidents, which did not happen on extremely dubious terms. It, they, they were looking for an opportunity. They immediately, as soon as the incident happened, a uh, U.S. ship claims it was fired upon in the Gulf of Tonkin. You know, mind you, this is not in Long Island. This is in the in a body of water right off the coast of Vietnam. It's like the Spanish-American thing. You put people in a position where right. they might get into a scuffle, and they get into a scuffle. Oh, my God, we, now we have to go to war. Excuse me. Um, after that, Lyndon Johnson, we know, along with uh, Robert McNamara and a host of other people, we know that they knew this war couldn't be won for years because of the Pentagon Papers. This, the, Daniel Ellsberg leaked the Pentagon Papers, and they tried to shut him up, and Nixon and Kissinger, but they couldn't. And we know the war couldn't be won for years and years since the Truman administration, since 1950, and they kept the war going. How many Americans died because they chose to, they chose to want a, a more graceful withdrawal? That's treason to the American people, to the 50,000 Americans that died or whatever percentage died during uh, Johnson and, and Nixon's terms when they knew the war couldn't be won. I'm, I'm going to go quickly because I know sure. we're running short on time. That's all right. But – there's a similar dynamic in play that I think that something that you know a lot about, John, as well, with Afghanistan. Yeah. They have known the war in Afghanistan couldn't be won 
for years. There's a, the Afghanistan papers came out in this past December, almost a year ago now, where it the whole war has been propagated on lie after lie after lie. It, people need to realize how ridiculous it is that we're in a country twenty nearly twenty years after we got there. And to start with, the war did not need to to happen. The Taliban didn't was not that close to Al Qaeda. Taliban tried to warn the United States. The Taliban foreign official tried to warn U, the U.S. embassy that there was an attack plan. They didn't know what was happening, but they tried to warn that their Al Qaeda, uh, that Al Qaeda staying uh, taking refuge in Afghanistan was planning something. They were ignored. After nine eleven happened, uh, the Taliban said they would give up Osama bin Laden to another Muslim country right. if evidence was provided. Not good enough for the United States, you know. We don't negotiate with terrorists, but we expect everyone else to give up, to just follow U.S. orders unquestioned. They just ask for evidence. Even after the bombing started, they said, we'll give him up to any third country. Not good enough. Fine. War starts. All right. Started. By December of 2001, almost all al-Qaeda was either dead or had fled to Pakistan. Yep. Almost the entire Taliban leadership had given up and sworn loyalty to Hamid Karzai, the U.S. imposed leader. They, they offered to put their guns down. It's a very common tradition in Afghanistan because they've been invaded so many times and groups have to, have to live together and hammer things out. So when you lose, you, you give up political power and you choose to live in peace. And the U.S. said, not good enough. They could have had peace in 2001, early 2002. The Taliban and Al-Qaeda were not this harmonious group. They were Al-Qaeda had sought refuge there, and the Taliban had given some. That's true. But it was an uncomfortable relationship where the leader of the Taliban, Mullah Omar, had even said, I, it's, Osama bin Laden is like the chicken bone in my throat. I can neither swallow him or, or spin him out. And meaning, if he casts bin Laden out, he loses legitimacy amongst his people. He looks weak. If, if he... Uh, allows him to stay. He's putting, he was putting, uh, as we know, he put the Taliban in incredible danger because they became a target of the U.S. The whole need for the U.S. to be in Afghanistan to begin with, it, it's so tenuous. Like, none of the hijackers were Afghan. The, no, none of the people who planned it were Afghanis. And yet the United States, north, the cent, middle of North America, has a right to occupy a country in Central Asia in per, per, perpetuity. All that being said, they had every off-ramp to stop the war. Even in 2000, that's, that's all on Bush. They, they chose to escalate, start escalate the war, even when it, it would, could have been over two months into it. Obama and his officials, I'm assuming he caved to pressure from people like Petraeus, Robert Gates. He was told that this war can't be won. There, were, there are a dozen leaks about how when he wanted to do the surge in 2009, 2010, that, no, this actually cannot be won. Matthew Ho being the most famous State Department official. There's no way this can be won. Daniel Davis in the military also uh, very famous for telling him this. He escalated the war, and that's the bulk of the American casualties in the war. And not just casualties, like horrible ones, like guys get their uh, genitals blown off, uh, uh, because that's the nature of this kind of guerrilla war. Not to mention the some 2,000 Americans, 2,500 Americans killed. So, again, if... The definition of traitor is traitor to the American people. Continuing wars based on lies no, and having the information that, you, that they didn't have to happen, that's the definition of, tra of treason. And I, want, I got one more, and I know we're, we're about to close. Yeah. 
if we're accepting the definition that putting Americans in harm's way unnecessarily is treason, I think we need to, to look at Colin Powell as well. He's someone I mentioned in the article. I pick on him specifically because, yeah, everyone knows, anyone who listens to this podcast knows how we feel about the Bush administration. Bush, Cheney, you know, fuck them all. They're all traitors. They're, they belong in prison. But Colin Powell is someone that people believe knew better, and he did know better. Colin Powell had his own intelligence. He was working for the State Department. Uh, he was the head of the State Department and had their own intelligence service was saying that the the information being passed on to him about Saddam Hussein's nuclear chemical weapons were was dubious at best, uh, low inte- low confidence. And you can read about this in The Intercept. John Schwartz is the person to, to read, read this from. Uh, Colin Powell's own chief of staff, staff, Larry Wilkerson, was extremely not confident in, in the rulings. But Colin Powell chose loyalty to President Bush. He chose not to betray President Bush over his loyalty, not just the American people, but how many hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Iraqis died because he gave an extremely convincing mm-hmm. uh, speech at the UN mm-hmm. that did uh, turn opinion not globally, because people still protest the war, but that gained a lot of support within the U.S., especially in the, in the U.S. Congress. And go, go look at John Schwartz. Just Google John Schwartz, Colin Powell. Uh, Colin Powell knew that this information was questionable, and he even fabricated some of it uh, and, play, and misplaced some of it to where it would sound more convincing than if people knew the entire truth. He omitted facts as well. This is incontrovertible. So, but Colin Powell was someone who was in the military, and he valued loyalty. But he, what he never stopped to question is who does his loyalty belong to? Does it belong to the American people? Because if it did, he, wouldn't have, he would have resigned and, right. and wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about how, how wrong this cause for war was. But he chose to be loyal to his boss rather than loyal to the American people. That's treason. Yeah, and I think, um, I think if we're looking at... I think we should end on two notes. But one is who... Are those heroic traitors? Because I know, um, I actually don't think you mentioned like Edward Snowden in the, in the article. Yeah, I, I tried to go more obscure, but yeah, of course. I mean, Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden's a hero. And and did you see the ACLU yesterday? Yeah, uh, I did see. The, some, I follow the ACLU on Twitter, but a court ruled that pretty much everything Edward Snowden was saying was correct. Like uh, that it, there is this warrantless wiretapping of America and surveillance of American citizens is unlawful and unconstitutional, pretty much vindicating him. Yeah. Well, and yet he's still in asylum and no, probably is he, is he in asylum? You have like, because it happened under, Ob- this right. is like something for another episode, but this is like the Trump, Trump derangement syndrome as terrible as Trump is. This is how bad he is, that he's made Democrats defend things that are extremely problematic. Like, because the Snowden thing happened under Obama, Democrats have it out for him. You know if it had happened under Bush, the, the Democrats, people who are on the left, would generally support him. But instead you have Susan Rice on Twitter criticizing Trump for considering pardoning Tro- uh, Snowden. Yeah. Um he hasn't done shit, by the way. Trump hasn't done anything even close to it. Warrantless surveillance still goes on. The, the, the Congress keeps approving further escalation of the Patriot Act. But the very idea that he might pardon someone that is not a traitor but an American hero for pointing out real traitorous behavior, violating the Constitution, right. uh, the NSA, James Clapper lying to Congress right. about it blatantly. Yeah. Uh, 
And but no, tr- Snowden's considered the traitor, not the people who are violating the Constitution, making a, this a surveillance state. Yeah, it's kind of a weird clash of those definitions because you even have many Americans saying that he is a traitor, despite it actually going against the Constitution. <laughs> like despite it actually the the acts of surveillance being the treason not the revealing of the acts and i don't i don't think we'll ever understand why folks get more angry at the revealing as opposed to the action but yeah, and it, i guess a, a good place to to end this is like but we never apply it elsewhere like when a north korean defects uh, right. we never consider them we never look at them uh, as traitors if when iraqis in the gulf war defect in the thousands we're never like oh they're traitors we make movies about traitors to the Third Reich. Like Arthur Schindler was certainly a traitor to the, right. the Third Reich, but you know, we we view ourselves. It's part of the American exceptionalism. We view our mission as inherently benevolent and inherently good. So therefore, to betray it is evil. Yeah. And you know, and we just it's hard for me to believe that if we heard about you know we do all these these propaganda. Uh, Operations around the world, Radio Free Asia, Radio Free Europe, where we're we're uh, pumping propaganda into these countries. Uh, if someone in those countries then reveal, you know, some of this propaganda is based on true things that are exaggerated. If someone in those countries is like going around talking about American propaganda, hey, your leaders are doing this and that. Uh, do you think that their react the the people's reaction to those countries should be like, wait, whoa, whoa, we don't have a right to know that stuff. There's some right. things. There's some things I don't want to know. Important right. things. <laughs> I know. <Simpsons>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so bringing this full circle back, the, the original controversy that you brought up was the Confederate war monuments and statues and the Confederate flag. And while obviously all of those, I think we'd agree, stand for values that we think are immoral and evil, the argument that they should be taken down because they are treasonous is not the one to make because treason does not always equal, often doesn't equal, immoral. Right. H- historically, it hasn't equaled immoral, and often the people we that are portrayed as traitors have been heroic, while people who have committed the greatest transgressions against the American people are almost never discussed that way. And I, again, it goes back to, let's reevaluate how words reinforce power dynamics. Throwback to our other podcast. But we have a happy hour to get to. We do. Which we'll As drink, if we we'll haven't been more drinking this whole time. I know. Uh, but thank you again for joining us on a little condensed version of In the Context of Empire. We will catch you next time, maybe next week, with another episode. Yes, happy Labor Day weekend to everybody. And uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Bye.